Okay, if you have your Bibles, turn to the book of Jonah. The book of Jonah. And we'll be in chapter number three tonight. The book of Jonah, chapter number three. Now, by now, most of you know the story. In fact, you probably knew the story before we even started the book, but uh, let's rehearse it one more time. I mean, Jonah was called by the Lord to go to Nineveh and preach judgment upon the Ninevites. And uh, he, he hated the Ninevites, and he wanted them judged. And so he refused to go where the Lord told him to go. He booked a boat to Tarshish instead of going to Nineveh. Uh, God uh, sent a storm on the boat, and the crew threw him overboard. And uh, he was swallowed by a well. And at some point in the belly of that well, whether he was alive or whether he was dead, we talked about the various uh, views on that the other night. But at some point he called upon the Lord. And uh, uh, he had learned a lesson at that point. He had learned all about, he was a theologian at that point because he really knew the attributes of God. He knew that God was omniscient, that God knew exactly where he was. He couldn't run from God, so God was omnipresent. And God was powerful enough, he was omnipotent, he was powerful enough to get Jonah exactly where he wanted him to get him. And so while Jonah's uh, struggling with this, uh, his relationship with the Lord, the Lord's got him in a fish and he's taking him exactly where he wants him to be. And that's on the shores of Assyria, so he can go to Nineveh and do what God had called him to do. And so at this point he's ready to do God's work and, and uh, he's humbled himself and he's prayed to the Lord and the Lord's answered his prayer and uh, in verse number 10 of the last chapter of chapter 2, we hear the words, So the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah unto dry land. And where was he at? Exactly in the will of God. Exactly where God wanted him to be on the shores of Assyria. And then the Lord spoke to him again. And listen to what the Lord says in verse number 1 of chapter number 3. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah. Remember, isn't that how the book started? The word of the Lord came to Jonah, but it came to him a second time. Uh, so, uh, well, let me, read, uh, let me read verse number two, too. Arise and go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach to it the message that I tell you. And we'll get back to that second verse in a minute, but let's look at the first one first. Uh, Look at what he says here. He says, the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. I read one commentator who said that this proves that God is a God of second chances. You know what? I thank God that he's more than a God of second chances. He's a God of as many chances as we need. That's what, I, that's what I'm thankful for. If God gave me two chances just today and said, George, you got two chances. You don't mess up, you're going to be all right. But if you mess up, you're going to hell. I'd be in, I couldn't make it through one day. So I thank the Lord that he is a God of many, many, many chances. I love what Jeremiah says in Lamentations chapter 3. He says, the Lord's mercies are never consumed. His mercy is never consumed. You, you, can't, you can't get all of God's mercy. No matter, I take a lot of God's mercy. I, I probably a lot more than you guys take. And, 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 but they can't, his mercy can't be consumed. I can always know that there's more mercy that can be had from God, that he's a God of mercy because his compassion fails not. 
His love for us fails not. He never quits loving us, no matter how bad we are. I mean, Jonah is a guy that you just reading this you wouldn't like. But God kept liking him anyway. His compassion never failed. Jeremiah says in verse number 23, they are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. And I am so glad that the Lord is a God of many, many, many chances. But God won't strive with mankind forever. And the Bible is clear about that. When it comes to salvation, there are just so many chances. And then God is done with man. He's done with an individual after so many chances. So, so the lesson that I see in this passage isn't so much that God is the God of second chances. The lesson that I see is that, that what the lesson that Paul gives us over in Romans chapter 11, and that is that the gifts and callings of God are for sure. The gifts and callings of God are irrevocable. I want you to think about that a minute. If we believe that God is omniscient, and if you don't believe that, one day you will, I promise you. Because you're, you're just in the same boat Jonah's in, and God's going to get you there. But if you believe that God is omniscient, then you believe that he knows the future. He knows all of the future. Now, God's not going to call you to do something that he knows you can't do or will never do. But really, I don't believe there's anything that God can't get us to do at some point. Look what he had to do with Jonah. Now, Jonah was a pretty stubborn guy, but he got him to do what he wanted him to do. And I think that's the lesson here, that, that God is omniscient and that his callings are irrevocable. He had called Jonah to go to Nineveh, and guess what? Jonah was going to go to Nineveh. He had told Jonah what he wanted him to say, and Jonah was going to say exactly what he told him to say. So uh, uh, then he says in verse number 2, he says, Arise and go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach to it the message that I tell you. Now, is that a different calling from the calling he had originally? No. Jonah hadn't changed God's mind about the calling. God had changed Jonah's mind about the calling. You're not going to change God's mind about the calling because God is omniscient. He knows why he's calling you to do something, and he's always just and right in what he does. So if he calls you to do something, then it's the right thing to do. And so the easy thing to do is just do it if God calls you to do something. Arise and go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach to the message that I tell you. And what was that message? The message was that if you don't repent of your wickedness, you are going to be destroyed. And, and so uh, he preached. He, God sent him to preach the message that he told him to preach. That wasn't a pleasant message for the Ninevites, was it? And well, he wasn't going to make him popular with the Ninevites. It wasn't a pleasant message for Jonah because Jonah hated the Ninevites. And so lots of times, if not most of the time, when God calls us to do something, it's not going to be necessarily pleasant. It's not going to be something that we might want to say to somebody. It might be, be, be something that we might not want to do. And so, but, and so what I want to do in any case, is to do what God has called me to do. To say what he tells me to say and do what he tells me to do. It's not our option to tweak his calling. He gives us a calling, and we're to follow his instructions, and we're to follow those instructions every step of the way. And he's not going to give us maybe the whole set of instructions to begin with, but if we follow the first step, then he's going to tell us what to do the second step. 
But we're to follow what he says, and we're to tell people what he tells us to tell people. What have we been told to tell people? We're to go throughout every nation doing what? Sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. We've been called to do that. Everybody's been called to do that. Now, if you look at the Great Commission, that's a participle, and it really says, as you go, as you go. It doesn't mean you have to go to the mission field. That wasn't what Jesus was saying. But as you go through life, you're to make disciples and, and to preach the gospel, teach the gospel, share the gospel. And so here is Jonah. He's arrived on the shores of Assyria, and he doesn't even hesitate now to do what God's told him to do. I mean, this time he's going to be obedient to the Lord's calling. Look at verse number three. So Jonah arose. The Lord said, go. He didn't go looking, shopping tickets, uh, boat tickets to go somewhere else. Jonah arose and went to Nineveh. According to the word of the Lord, he was obedient, obedient prophet. Now, now, Jonah hasn't arrived at this point by any means. We're going to see that as we look through the rest of the story. All he's only thing he's done, he's come to the point where when the God says to do something, he's going to do it. That's a good point to be. I mean, none of us are going to always like what God tells us to do. But, but really, as you mature in Christ, the, the, the more you do like what God tells you to do, you know it's the right thing. But Jonah hadn't arrived there yet. But Jonah did arise and go to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now, Nineveh, he's given a commentary here because Jonah's going to, it's going to take Jonah three days to preach his message. Because look what he says. Now, Nineveh was an, ex- Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, a three-day journey in extent. In other words, for you to cover the whole city of Nineveh with this message, it was going to take three full days. Now, that's a pretty big city. I mean, you went somewhere like L.A., you could walk for three days, and you could, make a lot of, you could cover a lot of territory in L.A. Now, certainly, I don't think Nineveh was as big as L.A., but it was a big city. And, and before the 1980s, nobody really knew anything about Nineveh. And a lot of people said, oh, this is an exaggeration, a typical exaggeration in the Bible. But then in the 1800s, they discovered the ruins of Nineveh. And they found out that it was a very large city. They also found a writing by Cetesius, a Roman historian, who said that in those days that, that uh, the city of Nineveh was, was 27 miles in circumference. So that's a big, big city. And you can see why it would take three days to walk that entire city. And so that's what it took uh, uh, Jonah. And here was a city, with a very large city, very great city in size, and also great in wickedness. But Jonah does his job in verse number four. And Jonah began to enter the city on the first day's walk. Three days walk, first day walk. Then he cried out and said, yet 40 days and Nineveh will be destroyed or overthrown. You got 40 days to get your act together. That number 40 should sound familiar to her. What's the number 40? The number of judgment. The Israelites were in the wilderness 40 days. Moses was uh, down in Midian 40 days. I mean, there's all sorts of, Jesus was tempted for 40 days. It's, a, it's, it's the testing period, the judgment period. And so you got, you got a test. For 40 days, uh, you, you're, you're going to be tested, and if you don't repent, you're going to be destroyed. And so uh, here's Jonah for three days preaching this wonderful message. 
Why would anybody listen to that message? You think they would have just took, you know, here's this little Jew that you think I just took one of the bows and arrows and, and shot him and killed him and shut him up. But there was something about Jonah that made him listen. I mean, I have no doubt that he was drawing crowds all over the city and people were repenting. Why were they repenting? I mean, why would they repent based upon the words of this Jewish prophet? Well, I got to believe that he was a freakish man at this point in appearance. I mean, he had either been raised from the dead, what a story he had to tell, or he had, had, he had lived in the belly of the well for three days and three nights. Either way, he came out of there stinking. He came out of there in bad, bad physical shape. And... Uh, Man, he was a walking miracle. And so people saw this guy and heard this guy, and they believed him, I think primarily because of the way he looked. Remember, remember last week when we, I talked about one of the stories about someone who had, Mark that down. <laughs> remember last week I told you the, uh, share with you the story about a man who was on display in the London Museum uh, in an exhibit entitled The 20th, 20th Century Jonah. And this man had spent two days in the belly of a whale and lived to tell about it. Well, two years after the exhibit ended, a man named Harry Rimmer interviewed this man. And he said when he saw the man, he was just taken back a gasp. He said, because the man didn't have a hair left on his body, not on his eyebrows or on his head. And he said, he, and he said that his skin, even after this period of some time, his skin was this yellowish brown uh, color. And, and what had happened, he was in the digestive system of the whale and all of those gastronomic uh, chemicals were poured out on him and it did these really strange things to his body. And so, I mean, he looked like somebody that belonged in a freak show. And that's when they used to do those exhibits like that in London. That's basically like the elephant man and things like that. That's what they were, basically, were freak shows. So here's Jonah. And he comes out of the spit out on the shore by the belly of a well and no doubt he looked something like this. Not a hair on his head, not a hair on his eyebrows, not a hair on his arms. I mean, he, his skin was probably some awful-looking color. And people believed him. I mean, you had to believe something happened to this guy. Why would a Jew come there in the first place? And why would he come there looking like that? And I'm sure his message went sounded forth with the power of the Holy Spirit from God. And so the people came out to listen to this message. And they believed his message. You know, sometimes God will use our scars to speak to other people. God will take some of the, our belly of the well experiences and the scars that we have from those experiences and use those as a witness of his grace and his mercy, a witness of his power. And instead of some, you know, Miracle like raising somebody from the dead. He'll take your scars, and, and your scars are proof of what you've been through. I remember years ago, 
after I got saved, I returned home to Hattiesburg, Mississippi to see my son play in a baseball game, one of my older sons. And I remember seeing a banker that I'd done a lot of business in my wheeling and dealing days. And he knew what a, how some of the wicked things that I'd done, and he, he knew me pretty well. And he saw me there, and he shouted from the other side of the stands. He said, he said, George Llewellyn, is that you? And I said, yeah. And he said, he said, uh, what are you doing now? And I said, well, and I mean, this guy knew all about my past and knew how bad things were and knew I'd lost my business and all that kind of stuff. And I had all of these scars. And he said, what are you doing now? And, and I said, well, I'm in seminary and I'm going to be a preacher. And he shouted where everybody, I know everybody in the stands heard him. He said, there is a God. <laughs> and, and, I mean, that spoke volumes to him. Did he get saved from that? I don't, I don't think so. But God certainly used that as a witness, my scars. And he's used that over, over in several cases, my scars from my bad days to, to witness to other people. And that's what he does here with Jonah. He's using the scars from his time in the belly of the well to witness to these Ninevites. In verse number five, so the people of Nineveh believed God. They proclaimed a fast. They put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least. Wow. So they believe God. Now, there are a lot of expositors. There's a lot of evangelists that love this passage. Because they say, look at the great city of Nineveh, where there was maybe millions of people, and the whole city got saved. See what could happen? An entire city, if the right person comes on the scene with the right scars, with the right word, then an entire city, we should never doubt this, that God can save an entire city. Well, I don't get quite as excited as those evangelists did because I don't know that necessarily these people were saved. And let me show you why. Who do they believe? Notice the name there. They believe God. Elohim is the word. They believe God. It says nothing here about them believing in Yahweh or Jehovah. They refer to him as Elohim. They believed in Elohim. I haven't done a detailed study to prove what I'm about to say, but I, I'm pretty sure it's the case in most cases in the Bible. When somebody truly gets saved or truly enters into a relationship with the Lord, they call him something more than Elohim. Remember when Nebuchadnezzar got saved, he called him the Lord Most High. And so he changed. Remember the first chapter of Jonah. Remember those men look back at the first chapter. And when they, when they saw that the miracle that was happening here and the storms ceased, uh, they feared, look at verse number 16, they feared who? Not Elohim. They feared Jehovah. That tells me they entered, in, they, they, they entered into a personal relationship with God and they offered a sacrifice to Jehovah God. To Yahweh God, and they took vows. So, so two, remember when we talked about this, what make, makes me sure they were saved, they saw that they were unworthy to be saved, and so they offered a sacrifice. That's, they humbled themselves. 
and they offered a sacrifice, and they offered it not to Elohim, to a God that they didn't know, but a God who they now did know, Yahweh uh, or Jehovah. And so here were these people, and I have no doubt that they believed in God at this point. And I mean, if there had been a concert and they had been singing God's Not Dead, they would have said, hey, God's not dead. Look at this guy. He can't be dead. They would have shouted. That's why that bothers me on some of the, on some, when I, just proving that God's not dead doesn't get you saved. The demons believe that God's alive. They know that God's alive. They don't, they don't just believe it. They know it. So knowing that God's not dead doesn't save you. Even repenting of your sin doesn't save you. How are we saved? We're saved through sacrifice, the sacrifice that Jehovah God made for our sins. And that is his son, Jesus Christ. And the sacrificial system pointed to that. And I, I don't think these sailors went through the sacrificial system, but they knew that there had to be a sacrifice for their sins. And so by faith, they offered what they could offer. Just like Abel offered up a sacrifice because he knew there was no work that he could do to enter into a relationship with the Lord because of his sin. And so Cain tried to offer up his works to please God instead of Jehovah God. And, and uh, he, 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 I don't think he's in heaven. You know, when you go back and look at Saul, the same problem, remember how Saul was used to refer to the Lord as his God, and then he all of a sudden he said, David, you're God, you're God, you're God, the Lord, you're God because he never had entered into a relationship with the Lord. So, verse number six. Uh, anyway, great things are happening in the city, and some of these people very well might have gotten saved. I just don't know that the whole city got saved. I'm not trying to, you know, throw water on the flame, but, but uh, I don't know that everybody in Nineveh got saved anyway. But anyway, in verse number six, it says, The word came to the king of Nineveh. Man, you got to see this guy Jonah, this freak Jonah. He's, he's lived three days or he was dead in three days and three nights in the belly of the well, and God raised him from the dead. you got to see this guy. And you got to listen to his story because it's got power in it. And he's telling us that we're going to all be destroyed in 40 days if we don't, just like Sodom and Gomorrah, if we don't repent. And the, the king took this to heart, and he rose from his throne and laid aside his robe and covered himself with sackcloth and sat in ashes. And he caused it to be proclaimed and published throughout Nineveh by the decree of the king of his nobles, saying, Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Do not let them eat nor drink water. Hey, we're all going to fast this time. But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily unto God again. That is Elohim, he says. He doesn't say Yahweh or Jehovah. He says, Elohim, let's cry mightily to God. Yes, let everyone turn from his evil way and from, his, from the violence in his hands. So they're going to stop sinning at this point. And, and uh, they're going to cry mightily to Elohim. And it's going to work as far as stopping the judgment. But I don't know if it worked as far as stopping the long-term judgment of their souls. And then he said, who can tell if... Elohim will turn and relent and turn away from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. So there's no doubt here that there's a moral revival taking place. That people, are, people are changing their ways out of fear because they're going to be destroyed. 
And all of Nineveh participates in this revival. But what's their purpose? Is their purpose so they can enter into a relationship with the Lord? Or is their purpose to save their bodies? They're more concerned about their bodies than they are their soul. They're more concerned about their way of life than they are their relationship with God. So again, maybe some of them were saved. Maybe all of them were saved. I don't know. Hopefully all of them were saved. Jesus did mention that it'll be better for the city of Nineveh than some of the cities in Israel in the day of judgment. So there is some, there's some hope for at least some of them. But then God saw their works, that they had turned from their evil way, and God relented from the disaster that he had said he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. Now, let me ask you a question. Does this mean that God, we, God changed his mind, as some people say? First of all, anytime you see a phrase like this in a scriptural passage, what God is trying to do, he's, he's using what's called an anthropomorphism, where he puts human aspects on the actions of God. God doesn't remember, have to remember anything. It will say God remembers. Because from our standpoint, it's this, now God's acting, he's remembering us. Or he relented, it's almost as if he changed his mind. But God didn't change his mind here. What was God's mind here? God's mind was he didn't want to destroy these people. And, and, and so nothing changed. Whose mind got changed? Jonah's mind got changed. Who's there, who else's mind got changed? The Ninevites' mind got changed. But God never changed his mind. God wishes that none should perish. He, he doesn't want to destroy anyway. His mercies are new every day. And he wanted to save these people. And so what he did, he picked him out a rebellious prophet who he knew would rebel. Now watch this. This is the way God works. And he knew exactly what he was going to do before he even called him. He called him, but he, and he knew where he was going to get him. But he knew what it was going to take to get him there, and what, what the process of getting him there was going to turn him into the freak he needed to, to sell this, this uh, repentance thing to the Ninevites. God is so amazing. I, I mean, I don't know how many times in my life, and I know you've seen this too, you see God working in so many, from so many different angles in so many different ways. And that's why when we see something that happens that seems so tragic and seems so, uh, or so unnecessary or so, uh, it just doesn't make any sense. Well, it makes sense to God. And God's working with people and he's working with angles that we can't understand. And that's what he was doing here as we finish up in, in chapter number three. And I'll finish with, with what Paul said in Romans chapter 11. I mean, yes, in Romans chapter 11. Oh, the depth and riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. For who has known the mind of the Lord? You can't figure him out. He's not going to do things the way we want him to do. What we can figure out is what he gives us here in this word. Or who has become his counselor? Well, I try... You know, when I pray, I try to be his counselor. But guess what? I'm not. He's my counselor. He's our counselor. Wonderful counselor. 
and he means well for all of us. We just have to trust him sometimes when things don't make sense. They certainly didn't make sense to Jonah. None of this made sense to Jonah. But God knew exactly what he was doing the whole time. And I'll guarantee you, when you finish your race, you wherever you end up, you're going to know, too, that everything God did made all sorts of sense. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we just thank you for your word and for, you, for the truth here. And uh, Lord, we just are so blessed to be recipients of your mercy. This whole world is a recipient of your mercy, Lord. Uh, if, if, Lord, we got what we deserved. If this world got what it deserved, Lord, it would be wiped out tomorrow. But, Lord, we, you're, you're so gracious with us. Lord, we thank you for your mercies. We thank you for your spirit. We thank you for, for the way you want to work in our lives. Lord, you can use even us to, to, to get your word out and to do things if we'll just obey your callings, Lord. If we don't have a calling, Lord, we need to seek you and find that calling. We need to find what you want us doing and where you want us doing it. Lord, just help us to be your servants and be doing whatever you've called us to do according to your will. We ask that in Christ's name. Amen.